Welcome to the Joy Venture Podcast, a show where dreamers and doers share stories of discovering, developing, and spreading their joy with the world. I'm your host, Jeremy Slagle, along with Thad Devassi. Thad and I continue our Nashville interview series, and for this episode, we talk with the rapper and recording artist known as John Rubin. does a farm kid from Pataskala, Ohio in the 90s decide his future is in rap music? Better yet, how does this unlikely artist, without the help of the internet, land a record deal and then go to produce six albums for his label? And now, at Midlife, how do you follow up that act? We talked to the funny and self-deprecating John Zappin, his actual name, and unpacked the story of this unlikely star in an unlikely rap genre and mined some great nuggets of wisdom by the end. This is the Joy Venture Podcast with John Zappin, a.k.a. John Rubin. At some point in time in Pataskala, Ohio. Oh, yeah. Pataskala, Ohio. (laughs) Something (laughs) happened. A young John Zappin decided he wanted to... Where did that start? Like, you you wanted to get into rap music? Or did it start that early? Or when, when did this happen? I don't know exactly at what point I got into this or even if I had words for it or even knew what they would call this, but I liked poetry. I liked writing, and I think it was just a way of um, being able to kind of process everything going on in, you know, around me, mm-hmm. whether that be good or bad. And so at a young age, I just started writing these, like, stream of conscious whatever came to mind these things that quite frankly kind of just felt more like lyrics and when i started hearing hip-hop in the 80s and some of the early 90s stuff is really when i got into it um it just there's something about the uh the spontane spontane spontaneity or spontaneity what tomato tomato how do what, how do you say that spontaneity, spontaneity. that's yeah. the proper way of saying that <laughs> I feel like I've been corrected on both sides of, of somehow not saying that right. Either way, I'd know what you meant. Bear yeah. with me. I'm, 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 I'm operating off a of GED here. So uh, <laughs> spontaneity, there was something I just loved about like the uh, kind of the free form of it, the, the, how these MCs would kind of be able to communicate something um, so, so effectively that uh, it, it just was really attractive to me. And, I, you know, again, you guys know Pataskal, Ohio. It's not like a hotbed for open mic nights, and, you know, <laughs> it wasn't like a bustling hip-hop scene. But I'd also, at the time, was going to a church. It was very diverse, very um, unique for the area, I would say. Uh, the pastor had been, well, I guess this would have been not so much my childhood, more, you know, early preteen or early teens uh the pastor had been um used to be a part of a uh organization i don't know if you're familiar with uh, david wilkerson and uh, teen challenge 
And mm. was, you ever you ever see that, that that movie, The Cross and the Switchblade? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of came from that world. Okay, and so he had set up a program, kind of out. He moved from Brooklyn. Uh, he you know was in one of the gangs, and you know in, the, in that movie, moved from Brooklyn to a farm and outside of Columbus in a place called Pataskala and they'd set up shop and like it was a bringing in a lot of people looking for a second chance out of New York City different areas you know people who'd kind of had some you know had some troubles that were looking for some rehabilitation and my mom had been a part of the program and so I kind of grew up it was very bizarre because I grew up at the same you know in one sense in in the country around you know some pretty like country people and then at the same time I was going to this church that was you know had all these transplants from New York City that were kind of marrying country folk and it was just this sort of diverse group of people on a farm and uh, so I I had kind of picked up a lot of energy from some of those folks as well I don't I don't know what it was about that New York energy but I was definitely attracted to it attracted to hip-hop attracted to um yeah yeah i guess i'll leave it at that <laughs> i could i could i could dive deeper in there if, if uh, i could i could be very long-winded and uh, you, you, i tend to i tend to reiterate a lot of things so so but you you found that you had a knack for something or a love for something mm-hmm. it's just something that just kind of bubbled was it something that you figured out in english class did you have teachers that were <laughs> encouraging you to do this was it something you just figured out on your own it was definitely something. Well, I figured it out on my own, but I, I will say there was a teacher who encouraged me to write because um, she knew I liked it. And so I, I remember, I think, I think it was fifth grade, maybe fourth grade. I wrote a poem um, called "Choices and Decisions." Right? This is again. I'm, you know, I'm like, this would have been nine or ten years old, maybe eleven. I don't know. But all about life's big decisions and the turmoil and the challenges and. Which is really funny thinking about it now as a ten-year-old writing like you know life's big challenges and obstacles, but uh, she really liked it. Um, sent it to a magazine, a, like a curriculum magazine, and it got published. So I remember I had some poetry published when I was like in fifth grade. A magazine called Caboodle. I don't know if you guys remember that. I don't remember. No. That. Yeah, most people don't seem to remember it. I wonder if I just made this up in my head. <laughs> There was a teacher who really would believed in me. No. <laughs> Caboodle, uh, remember Caboodle? Yeah. yeah. No, so Caboodle. That's great. Uh, and so, but for the most part, it was just something that I, you know, I just I really liked it. It was something that I would do. I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of lived a little bit in my own world, and so I would, you know, write. I'd fill up notebooks of lyrics, and you know, and I would just write. I was always writing, and so. It was just something I enjoyed doing, and I enjoyed the process. I never became a musician, but I, outside of like sampling and production work with like you know, I bought a Moog. That was about the extent of my musicianship, playing a mono synth. Uh, but I just I really loved writing and the process of. Um, it was very therapeutic for me, so I enjoyed mm. that, and I got a lot of life out of that. And it was pretty uniquely intertwined, I would say, even with like my spirituality, what what I, you know thought at the time about God and working through all of that sort of stuff. So I, you know, I, I often, you know, not even joke it about that. Maybe I joke about it, but you know, like it, there's a lot of truth to it. Like I think my prayer life was uniquely tied to my, to my, to my hip hop because it was so much a matter of like, you know, me processing what I 
what I was trying to sort out, not so much me making a bold statement, you know, it was mm. always this kind of, and so that, that, uh, that was always an interesting, you know, and you know, one thing led to another and, and you got to, Got a got a record deal from it and put out a demo and so at some point in time though you had to pick up a mic and stand in front of somebody and and, and yeah. perform this stuff that you had written for yourself yeah what's that like like the first time well I remember being at camp a summer camp and I remember being validated by a group of my peers like everybody was kind of freestyling and you know I like a lot of things I I sort of like joked about it as a safety net like if I kind of joke like I'm rapping like then if people are like you're garbage (laughs) (laughs) then I don't I don't have to feel you know I could just I was just kidding it was a joke you know but I so I started joking and they started being like, you're actually kind of good. And so something triggered where I snapped out of the joking and I just actually started freestyling what I, or working through what I'd kind of written. And, uh, you know, I think humor was always a bit of a, you know, a safety shield for me. But then once I felt comfortable enough that people actually were digging it, it sort of became down and it was just like, all right, this is me and I'm going to go for it. And so I remember being at that summer camp and, you know, a group of kids, uh, we're like, this is really good, man. You're actually really good at this. And so that was, uh, that was, that was probably the, I think the first time I had that sort of confidence. And I, I cannot remember if I rapped at that camp, but sometime around that, I mean, I, I grew up in the church, so we used to take, um, instrumentals. I remember we had like some that we, this guy had recorded off of a, a Nintendo game and I can't remember what it was, but it was just the music and he recorded it and we rapped over it and we recorded like a demo. And then we'd take other instrumentals that you'd find and perform with them. And, um, and it was funny cause some of the, some of those instrumentals had like dirty words, like the background vocals in them. And so we just knew like when that part hit, we had to yell something real loud to cover it up. <laughs> so I, I remember with like a Sunday morning church service, they had us come up and rap. We were like 13. We were rapping. It was right when this, it was just an instrumental track. They used to call them TV tracks. So there'd be some background vocals in it every now and then. There was just one part. It was just like this foul, like wretched language. And so we all knew like, all right, the part's coming. The part's coming. We're like, Oh yeah, or something like we all yelled real loud, to, like to be noisier than the, uh, than the background track. Than yeah, the background track. So funny. that, uh, but some of those you early work days, with what you got right? Yeah, yeah. And so you know, a lot of that was just like church performance and stuff. But when I was like fifteen or sixteen, as the first time, I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna really do this to see if I can hang. And um, my buddy told me. About an open mic they had in uh, in uh, in downtown Columbus on campus, and so I was like, "I'm, I'm going to go with you. We're going to go." So um, I drove, or somebody drove me to his house because I didn't get my license till later in life. Uh, somebody drove me to his spot, and we decided to take the bus, and it just felt more authentic. You know, we'll take the bus <laughs> in. <laughs> so we took the He lived in Columbus at that time. I had kind of a you know, I was a part of a crew of MCs that were um, doing things and all of them were kind of like, you know, went to church, but they were all really like, you know, going, starting to like dabble in the hip hop scene in Columbus. And so I went to an open mic and this would have been 
uh, I can't even remember how old I was. You know, I was still high school, but um, and I just remember the energy. Like I could barely contain myself. How excited I was! Like this this record store was packed. I don't know if you guys remember Groove Shack. Mm-mm. Yeah, I do. You remember yeah, Groove Shack? I, I mean, and it was just awesome. And the talent. I will say this, man. The talent in Columbus was really good. I mean, there were so many good MCs and poets at those open mics. And, like, I mean, it was very, very intimidating. And I just went. The energy was packed. The DJ was spinning. And, you know, it was just like, you, you just, there's something about the whole culture of hip-hop. And, you know, and in the 90s, you know, when I was starting to really, really find my own in it, um, you know, it was really about it was more than just music. I mean, it was, there was a real culture to it and it was, uh, it was just so exciting to be there. Like, and I remember I got on the mic and just terrified, terrified, you know, to, and I did it. I didn't get booed. People seemed to think like I was okay. You know, it wasn't like you survived. I survived. Yeah. I survived. And so I went back and, you know, I started I started getting more involved in the scene at that point. So after I got that out of my system, I felt like, okay, if I can do this here, I mean, this that's a way different trying to get respect in that area versus like rapping at Sunday morning church where everyone is just like, this they is so to. nice. Yeah. Look at these kids Look doing something, little doing something, something so good for good. the Lord. That's just, that's really sweet. So I, I really got my start kind of like really like I would say honing like you know my abilities as an MC at the uh, at those open mic nights and so I would go to those uh, at the time not too long after that my brother was hosting an open mic night he actually got involved in a place uh, at the time it was called which is now called Scully's mm-hmm. yeah, it used to yeah. be a place called Skankland yeah. do you remember Skankland? Skankland yeah so I started helping him uh, do open mic nights there and uh, it was really, really fascinating. Uh, you know, the, there was a lot of talent that came through there. And, and you know, I did that for a little bit until um, I think, <laughs> I feel like if I remember correctly, uh, the owner, I, I, I wasn't bringing in the right clientele. I was bringing in too many poets and not enough drinkers. So mm. <laughs> I don't think the bar was thriving. But uh, it yeah, I didn't. I didn't hold on to the gig that long, but it it was uh, it was a fun. It was a fun stint. Like I just remember, like again, Columbus hip hop scene was really good. Some ex- extraordinary talent came out of Columbus, and so that was fun. That's kind of when I really got you know going on mics, and then uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could I could talk a long time, so I'll let you steer so the conversation. You, you, you said then you got a record deal. So how you know you went from I didn't get booed. Yeah. To I survived, to I showed up again, to at some point, you, 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 you know, I'm sitting here in front of you now and you're, you're, you know, a thin white guy, which is not, you know, not uncommon today, but I'm, I'm going back to 19. It, you know, no, nowadays that's like, yeah, every, yeah. everybody's a rapper now. That's but right. Like but, but 90, back then, that's, that's a, that a little uncommon. A bit of a novelty for it, sure. Exactly. And so did they come knocking for you or did you start sending stuff out to folks? How did, how did, how did you make that happen when you went from this terrified to be in front of the mic to I got a record deal? Yeah. 
<laughs> I, bought a, I bought a bunch of gear. Uh, my mom helped me get a loan on a bunch of uh, music equipment. So I bought an old MPC. Do you remember you know, any of this yeah. sort of stuff? I had an MPC 3000 with the floppy disks. <laughs> um, I bought a keyboard, and I didn't know how to do anything. So this is like, I mean, I didn't know. I, mean, I had to have people come over and show me how to turn the machine on and figure it out. But I was like, I mean, it's just one of those, if you want to do it, you got to go for it. So I, um, and I, you know, I felt like I had a deal with the guys in my crew at the time where I didn't, I, instead of getting a car, I got gear. You know, I, I was, I, I was a weird kid, I guess. I didn't want to, I never, you know. I, I, the driver's license wasn't that important to me. <laughs> like, I mean, like getting the car wasn't that important to me. I like I wanted the gear so I could be consumed in my world, and mm. and so I, I had guys who were willing to give me rides, and I made the beats, you know. And we booked a show, and we didn't even have beats or songs to rap over. So our first official show that we booked was at a. a, a it was a kind of a. I think you would call it. I guess you would call it a Christian club. I don't know. But it was like in nine. It must have been ninety five, ninety six, and we booked a show, and we we're like, now we gotta have beats and write songs because we have a show. Was or it out on the East Side? King of Hearts, King's Place. Was King's it? Place. The yes. King's yeah. Place. Yeah. Yes. Oh man, I don't want to jump off too far, but the King's Place. My wife and I, when we were dating, we would go to every concert that the King's Place. Would yeah. Have. Oh yeah, dude, they had great concerts. So I, I mean, I remember seeing, and this is the thing is like. I didn't grow up loving Christian music, but there was a lot of good really hip hop. Good, good hip hop in the early '90s. Like, um, I think you know you, you have this ongoing debate all the time about like, oh, Christian hip hop is finally good. I'm like, I grew up listening to it all, and Christian hip hop in the early '90s was already good. Like, it was good. Who what, who was that? Uh, that? You had SFC, some of the you know their album. There was a group called LPG. This was mid '90s now. Um, you know, Freedom of Soul. Uh, there's a group called the Gospel Gangsters that had this album that to me was fan. I still listen to it. I'm like, I go back and I, you know, I, I consider myself a fan of hip hop music and I like, it, it is a good album. I mean, the, what they, the, the way they put together the production, their, their skills, their perspective. I mean, there's just a lot of good music that was out there. Um, there's a group called Dynamic Twins. I remember Dynamic Twins. You remember Dynamic Did you yeah. see them at the King's Place? I did not know. Okay. I was not. That was one show that. Okay. Well, my my mother, as a side note, don't want to detour, but my mom uh, uh, used to help out there. But she also ran a, a metal label, so she was into death metal. So she helped bring in some of the metal bands. So, <laughs> oh my uh, gosh, that's gonna, another story. It's another story. But wow. uh, we, uh, where was I? Oh, so I booked a show, but actually it was before I was at the King's Place. Yeah. This club was some, I can't remember, it was somewhere on the east side. So, you know, I figured out how to, we put together some tracks, all my guys, you know, the guys I was in a group with, we all got together, we, and we worked out a set and we put on our show. And so through that, I started getting better and better at the production side of things. Um, and uh, I finally, you know, went and decided to record an EP so I put out an EP. I made it, you know, it was very limited pressing, but it made its way to Toby Mac from Goatee mm -hmm. and a few other labels who heard it that were really, really interested at the time. So, and I, at the time I had, I really, I really didn't have any desires, I guess, to like sign a record deal. I think I had this sort of ideal in my head of like creating some sort of collective and doing it independently. But, you know, this is the 90s. It's not like now where... 
you can brag about being independent. It's a lot easier to be independent sure. because you can put everything out. Distribution was a whole different animal then. Yep. You had yeah. to get somebody who was willing to pay for the physical product, then to ship boxes to stores and have stores be willing to stock them in order to hope to be able to sell them to people and then figure out how to get your name out. Now, you, you know, yeah. the beauty of today is if you want to put something out, you can put it out within 14 days, upload it, and it's out there. So it was, um, but uh, I'd got an offer from Toby and, um, you know, I wasn't, again, I was not, I was always iffy on how to navigate the Christian market, I, you know, it wasn't like something I set out to to do necessarily, but the music worked well in the sense that um, that, that that label had vision for it, and they were uh, I liked what they were doing with some of their artists. Like I was a fan of Grits, I was a fan of the kind of the culture, the diverse culture they were building there, and so yeah, he liked it. Called me up, wanted to sign me. I, it was. Um, it all happened, I feel like, relatively quickly. Yeah, I put the EP out in 97. I was living out in L.A. when I got the call. A guy here who actually was working with Grits helped me, um, you know, spread the word. And, uh, yeah, I came back, and I was supposed to go back to L.A., and I never went back because I came. I actually came here because uh, I came back in, this would have been GMA week 1999. Um and for folks who don't know what that is, at, at a time was a pretty big conference where people, you know, who did quote unquote <laughs> Christian music would come together. Well, and it's the week that leads up to the Dove Awards. And yeah, it's, it, it is a big week. I've been here for it. It's, okay. it's pretty awesome. It's, it's pretty epic, actually. If, yeah, I, I don't think it really exists in that way anymore. I, hmm. I, I wouldn't, I haven't been in years, you know, but at the time it was, you know, we went and I, I did a, you know, I didn't know what it was. Someone told me about it. I did a showcase um, at a small club. Um, and uh, somebody else set me up with a different, you know, a couple different showcases. Um, the one that was at like a, a club near campus and here in, near Vanderbilt. And uh, it was pretty, you know, pretty. Uh, it was a crowd that I don't think. Um, What's the right word? Why am I? I'm, I'm overthinking this. It was a pretty, uh, um, I would say they picky crowd and, and in all the right ways. Like they knew what good music was. And I was like, it was one of those things where you it was were in like, Nashville. Yeah, yeah. I was, so, in, I was in Nashville. Yeah. This wasn't even the Christian crowd. This was a separate one off outside of. And um, it was at a night where they were like spoken word artist. And um, that evening, and I could be getting this mixed up in my head. My memory's a little foggy. It was the late '90s. It was a different time, but it was. <laughs> it. Uh, I just remember going in there, and and the gentleman who ran it was like, uh, I brought my, you know, a DJ who was who was going to spin beats, and he's like, um, or I was going to play off tracks, and he was like, we don't we don't allow tracks in here. It's either all live music, or you you know, or not. So I was like, oh man. I was like, what about a what about DJ? Will that work? And the, I remember the guy who was helping me out was like, yeah, man, the, the DJ, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like instrumentation. We had to convince him that it was musical enough to be a part of it. So we did it. And uh, it worked. And again, it was one of those times where it worked well. And a couple of the songs that I didn't have tracks for, I just did spoken word and it worked. And I remember thinking like, all right, like, 
And I think that the A&R at the time um, liked that I was put in a very awkward situation and I figured out <laughs> how to make it work. And so, which has pretty much been the rest of my music career, being put in awkward situation after awkward situation, uh, whether it be um, some random youth room in West Virginia with no sound system or <laughs> I don't know, whatever wow. it would be. So, yeah, that I, I got a deal, put out the album a year later, my first album in 2000. How many albums did you do with them? I did six albums with Goatee. So I finished my deal. Six albums you fulfill. Yeah. You fulfill it. You're, you're no longer obligated. Yeah. You know, it, it's... And, but this is this is your work. This is your job, and, and few of us like at at the at the ripe old age of what that did you fulfill your your thirty? Okay, so you're thirty years old. You 30, fulfilled 30, 30, your, 30, 31? Yeah. So you fulfilled your your obligation. You're thirty. Yeah. Now what? What, 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 do, you, what do you? It's like great. Well, I, I just put out six. I just put out six records. Yeah. And now I don't have to. I, I get the. What, what do you do? What's going through your mind? What, what do you, what happens next? Well, the, uh, when it was, when, when that, then when that time was done, um, at the same time, roughly, and this had been a few years before that I'd actually been living in LA while I was working on my final album. I'd moved to LA, um, because my brother had this wild idea Actually, I'd had the wild idea uh, a few years earlier um, to pitch a pilot, a TV show. So he was always doing production. And he was super excited about this new thing called YouTube that had just popped up. And he was like, finally, the future's here. This is amazing. We can now we, we can, we can just media. We can use this to build audience. And then we can maybe take this and pitch this to the networks or something like that. Mm -hmm. So we kind of... Uh, rigged up this uh and this was actually you know at the time I was working still with goatee even on it um a tv pilot s kind of i don't even know if you'd call it a pilot like we did a short thing yeah um a kind of a mockumentary at the time which was again this is oh five oh six yeah so this was like you know before everyone was mockumentaried out yeah you know and i was a big fan of like what Christopher Guest was doing and some of the, you know, I don't know if you guys like the waiting for Guffman and yeah, and yeah. best in show. Yes. And, uh, I had just got done on tour. We had just got done watching, uh, the Ricky Gervais version of the office. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys were familiar yeah, with the, the British yeah. office. And I just became enamored with the absurdity around this sort of stuff. And so I was kind of looking at my own situation. I was like, all right, your situation's pretty absurd too. So like, how could we turn this into some sort of, you know, uh, a thing, you know, you got your brother who's got his production company. Yeah. Um, and you know, you know, him, he did want to come and, you know, shoot something, do something. And so we kind of did this, uh, this thing called professional rapper, which you guys can you see it on online. Um, and, uh, it was just this really, really absurd kind of story about a delusional rapper who, uh, you know, was always trying to find his unique 
Lane, as I say this, it's almost like it's almost too close for comfort. <laughs> Delusional rapper trying to find out how to be different. Uh, and, uh, you know, and uh, we shot this thing and, uh, and we put it up on YouTube um, and it got featured. It made also, you know, made a lot of lists at the time. This was like, whoa, what's happening? This is really cool. This video, you know, and again, this is. YouTube wasn't YouTube like it is today. This is like way back. And so the fact that we had this nine minute video and, you know, and, uh, you know, it gotten a lot of traction. I remember uh, Toby had actually said, like, yeah, I think you wrote the best marketing plan we've ever done because you just got a tons of views on something that um, didn't take a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because again, in 06, this is before like social media was what it is today. This is still, you know, paying a lot of money for print ads or you go to radio and you try to figure out, you buy onto a big tour. And so we went directly to this, you know, and to this, you know, video streaming platform. And yeah, a lot of people checked it out. And so it was a really funny experience because I did this and that was kind of a pivot in one sense because I think five out of ten people from our for people who like my music, I think loved it. I think maybe thirty percent of the people were indifferent. But I would say two out of every ten people were like, What did you just do? This is horrible. This is like, you know, you're del- like they thought it was me being serious. And I don't think they got that. I was just trying to create content, kind of create a weird weird world for people to enjoy to also say, hey, you know, just a different way of kind of putting yourself out there. And then so I, I carried on with that sort of thing and I did all these sort of like short videos for my next album. Um, did some funny stuff at the time. I was an album coming out called Word of Mouth. And uh, I did something with a, uh, an animator named Chris Oatley. Are you guys familiar with Chris Oatley? <laughs> I was going to say, I, I showed that to Thad this morning. I think that was one of the first times I uh, I was starting to get get on the John Rubin train was someone shared that video of you behind the scenes with Chris. Okay, yeah, apartment. yeah. So we were doing all sorts of ridiculous, absurd stuff like that. And... Um, and so we just kind of, kind of just got into that sort of thing. And at the same time, my brother was building a whole kind of, you know, the people, he, him and a group of other people were kind of building a interesting network and community around online video makers. And so um, we went out there in 08 and we worked on some really cool stuff. Um, you know, some of it's pretty, you know, you can, you can go down that rabbit hole if you'd like and go check out a lot of stuff from this is like 10 years old now 11 years old um but there was like uh, the makings of a beginning like studio forming out there and so i came back you know put out my record and at the time uh, there was some cool stuff happening in la where they were building a real digital studio around online creators and working starting to work um directly with brands and and uh it's just kind of a whole new world was opening up um that they were, everybody was super pumped out there. So I went back out towards the kind of the end of my last album and started working more out there and started getting involved with what was going on there. So after I remember it was like one of my later tours in December, I flew out there. We came back. Maybe I'm, I'm the dates are foggy to me, but this has been in the 2010, beginning of 2011. And my wife and my, newborn baby 
flew out to LA uh, and got picked up by my brother. We went to Ikea and bought a crib and a mattress and threw it on their floor. And I started working with those guys out there and uh, we stayed. <laughs> we stayed and some really cool stuff happened out there and we were able to, um, the company was really growing they, at the time and uh, it kind of just kind of blew up. And so it was, it was like uh, expanded from a small crew of people to I think when I left like three or four years ago, it was like maybe 300, 350 wow. employees. Wow. And I mean, it was a pretty big operation around kind of the content creator world. And so, um, yeah, so that was kind of, uh, and I had always thought I would get back around to making music, but I got so busy kind of doing this new thing and kind of working on the other side of it, still working with, you know, in the creative, with creatives and working and, you know, uh, exercising some of those, you know, um, skills, but it was, it was a really wild ride. So we did that for maybe three or four years. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm glad to see that the video that Jeremy showed me this morning, that you're still wearing the hat. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm a hat wearer, man. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you, please, please tell them, show them where they can see the video. That's, that's this isn't, stuff. if there was a, if this was a video, I would point to a link at the bottom and we, just point down point right down, now. Point okay, down. So now you know where the link yeah. is. It's on the website. Um, yeah, well, and I always thought, you know, at least if if the whole music thing didn't work out for you, art direction, you definitely have a knack for it. So, you know, creative direction on a project. You, Based on the video just, you yeah. saw with Chris Ehrlich. Just, just, yeah, just put yeah. a hat on it. You handled it yeah. so well. I, you know, like that, that is like, so I'm a little OCD. I'm obsessive compulsive. So I always go into every situation whenever I work with somebody apologizing on the front end <laughs> because like I'm annoying and I know I'm annoying and I would hate to be on the other side of that being like, okay, well, try this, try this, try this. And so like, uh. I think feeling that sort of insecurity, knowing being being having enough self awareness to know that I'm being that guy to an animator potentially, uh, but yeah, I mean Chris did his thing. I mean he kind of locked himself in his room for him a few months and just animated that whole thing and showed me as we went along. It, it, it's really funny because I'm like I still don't know if I know what that video is about, <laughs> the word of mouth video, but I love it. Yeah. I get I get the you know. I, Chris has gone on to do some amazing things. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, so, so you've kind of come full circle in, in a way because you did, were you, you came back to Nashville after that, correct? Like right at, right from LA. And was that to work with goatee at that point? Or? Well, I came back to Nashville, um, to write poetry again and smoke my pipe and sit on the porch. And, uh, we didn't want to come back to Ohio just yet. And actually we didn't want to come back to Ohio at all. Um, which is odd because I think I'm moving to Ohio, which we, we could have probably done this interview in uh, a couple of weeks in Ohio. But, you know, Why? Feels, when we can drive we six can do, hours to do Yeah, this is great. Uh, we, uh, I came back here and um, kind of one thing led to another. I got involved with a new, a new um, kind of startup, but it was really more of a network of kind of independent businesses and entertainment, media and tech kind of, kind of working together under one umbrella. And so I worked with Goatee through that. I kind of headed okay. up the Nashville operation. And so I did that. I don't do that anymore, but I did that for a few years. So I'm um, still good friends with all those guys. I, it's funny because I live a block 
or two blocks away from them right now, the offices and go to. But the whole time I was signed to them, I stayed in Columbus. And uh, now I live right next to them. Um, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, but now, you know, I love Columbus. It's a great city. Uh, you're just you, saying that because we're sitting here. No, no I'm not. saying that because I'm moving back. <laughs> there here, you go. So, uh, no, I do. I do. I've always loved Columbus. So, um, so, but you, so you came, but you came back to Nashville and you got back involved in, in another venture or another mm-hmm. creative adventure. You just can't stay away from that stuff. Yeah. I, and that's, this is a very interesting, cause I, I don't know what's next and I'm excited. You're doing these other things in, in LA and you come here to Nat, to Nashville doing other things and you had this sort of respite from creating music and then Rubonic comes out. Was oh, that 2000? Yeah. Was that 17? Last year, yeah. Last year. What we, we were actually listening to it, uh, some of it this morning, and it's like, you know, and, and we're, wa- we're watching videos too, right? So uh-huh. we're, we're, we're putting it all together. I'm like, okay, so a few minutes ago, he was, we were watching uh, John, and he's, um, he's doing some cheerleading, and, and, and it's, some great, it's some great parody stuff, right? And you're a funny guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all of a sudden, we see Rubonic, and it's like, wow, this, you know, this is really different. This is, this is heavy, well, heavier. So, so, well, that's, that's what happens when you surrender control to a really, really great director, DJ Dust. Or I don't know if he likes to be called DJ Dust anymore, but he used to be in a group called Marzil. You guys remember Marzil, the hip hop group? Amazing. Uh, but Nathan, Dust Brand Films, um, I, I played him some of my music and he was really feeling it. And he had this concept he mapped out and we uh, talked about it. And really, it was his baby, you know, and I let him just kind of interpret the music and feel the music. Uh, if I would have gotten too much involved in it, you'd I'd have probably had to find something. I'd, I'd, I'd my default is humor. I would have gone some, back to humor. Right, right. I'd be like, this is this is uncomfortable. I'm going to be funny, you yeah. know. Because if anybody said, you know, like you know, and to some degree, I think I've been able to kind of weave a little bit of some artistry with that sort of insecurity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I think I've kind of turned it into my own thing. But that was full blown letting him kind of interpret. Uh, the music, the album, and he pulled that together, and it's beautiful. He, it's beautiful. He gave me some amazing, some of his best work, I think. Yeah. And um, there was no, I did not pull any sort of uh, hat on, hat off with that. I was literally um, very much, I you know, all, all full credit to him. I mean, that was his baby. Yeah. And so, uh, but I got a great piece out of it, and then we chopped them up into some, you know, short form videos. Um, but yeah, I. It was really that whole experience, this whole album and that album. I mean, and that, that, that video was really just, I just wanted to do it. I don't know if I wanted to prove something to myself, but I was like, you know, this is what I did bef- for a good portion of my life. I had all these sort of like, uh, you know, over the years I kind of collected, which would amount to like just little scribbles and I say scribbles and I'm, you know, using hand gesture, like I'm writing it in a notebook. Some of it was in a notebook. A lot of it was, you know, on, you know, just keeping track on Evernote, but all these different bits and pieces of like thoughts and lyrics and kind of pulled them together and kind of saw the whole narrative, which it's really funny because you see reoccurring themes. I'm like, man, I've been dealing with the same thing for 20 some years. It just, redefines itself you know and it's that sort of 
the sort of themes just popped up and that album uh yeah i love it i thought and seth you guys know seth he did all, oh, the, yeah. he did all yeah. the music and we worked together it was just me and him and it was you know it was really fun it was it was it was a it was it's it challenging you know and but putting it out and then figuring out is anybody gonna listen to this what do i do with it and the probably the worst thing happened that could have happened is it did slightly better than I thought it would, which made me think I could have done better if I would have worked it harder and pushed harder, which makes me still think that, you know, that, ah, I still got it. I, you know, like fire up the van. We're going on tour. And have, did you, did you do some live performances? of that? I did a very few shows with it. I did maybe three festivals. Okay. Um, I, I just, you know, I, you know, I I've been 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 thinking about it. You know, you know, you know we're going to work on some new, more music, and how do I want to put it out? And mm-hmm. eventually, I think I do want to do a tour, but I I want it. I don't want it to. You know, I can't just can't just be like, hey, youth pastor, you want to book me? <laughs> you want to book me this forty year old rapper who, you know, to play your youth group? Like it it's got to be different this time. And so I I need to. It's got to be the right the right venues and you know i'd rather play smaller venues for 50 people who are going to really appreciate where i'm at in this stage of life um with that music specifically you well know? and you don't have a record label behind you that's booking it and yeah stuff. this is yeah and i'm so. telling you man it's like so with all the power of being able to connect directly with your audience that's awesome there's also you know you've really got to hustle you got to really be geared up to work it hard and yeah. um you know, you start saying, "Okay, you know, how how do I do? I have a run in me to do that, or is my energy now better served in other places?" And how do you how do you spend that time as you get you know older and you kind of got a different a lot of different passions, you know, and you got a kid and you know it's a it's it's a fun thing to figure out how to navigate, you know. Yeah. So you you're you're what I love about what you're saying a few minutes ago is you're comfortable in the space where I think most people are most uncomfortable. You don't know what's coming next. No, I don't. I would I mean on, on this podcast, you know, throw caution to the wind, baby, whatever. At home, I'm a little like, who am I? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, don't we all no. have that limited Oh, I, I would imagine that happens till the day we die, whether you're extremely successful or not successful. I don't think people realize how similar we all are in our insecurities. Yeah. And so um, I, uh, I, you know, man, it's funny because people say, what are you most excited about moving back? And I'm like, I, I think I want to write. I wanna, I'm looking forward. There's, there's some video work I want to do. There's a lot of fun things. I mean, I say that like I, I don't have anything. I have a lot of, you know, people I can collaborate and work with, and a lot of different opportunities. I think that I could kind of move into. It's just a matter of once you commit to something, it's a, you know, I'm I'm kind of all in. I can't do anything without you know, putting my best foot forward even. And so, uh, I'm still trying to kind of balance out. You know, I've been wanting to kind of to do some writing, and I want to do you know some of my own personal like you know, little stories I'd like to tell through, you know, film. And so there's a lot of that sort of stuff that I'm like, all right, you know, how, how much time do I commit to this? And, you know, I'm in a position where I can um, versus like, you know, kind of hopping on board some other opportunities that are out there that could be fun, but it's definitely you're kind of taking a gig. Sure. So it's, um, 
Yeah, I've always uh, I've always operated best when I'm kind of kind of like uh, I guess you would I don't know what the exact right word would be, but like kind of creating something, you know, mm-hmm. kind of creating something from the ground up. I I feel a lot of uh, I feel at my best when I'm doing that. So yeah. whether that's a song or you know working with talent or you know getting to work with you know different directors and helping create some concepts or even kind of on the campaign side if you're working with you know I think there's um you know you guys obviously worked in the agency world a little bit so I uh just from you know who knows who knows what's next what what would so you've you've been in LA you've been back here in Nashville I mean obviously there's two music scenes in both of these cities in addition to the other things that you've done um you're a kid from Pataskala rapping mm-hmm. what do you what advice what did you learn what would you say to that kid that's like i want to i want to do what john's happened did uh, granted it's a different time now yeah but what have you what have you learned through your experiences and and even now putting out you know last year an independent production you know you and seth you know as being the sage the mm-hmm. sage one now right they can impart his wisdom what would you tell that that young kid, that John Zappin, who's 16 today? You know, like this is this is always a funny, funny question because I could sometimes people will ask me this, and I'm like supposed to give this sort of like I think my advice sometimes is like a little bit of a Debbie Downer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but this is this is this, this is like truly what I would say to everybody is like um, do it because you love it. Do it because of the the act of doing it is fulfilling. Yeah. Like the creation of it is fulfilling. Yeah. Um, believe the sky's the limit, but at the same time, if it doesn't pan out, like don't be defined by it and keep doing it. Because you love it, create, be creative. You know, I, I think, I think some of my most satisfying moments have been like the smallest shows I played, where people just were way into what I was doing. And you know, I, I played some really big shows and some big conferences, and um, something very satisfying too, though, about like those moments when you're like, you know, you're playing for thirty people, and you have a chance to really connect, you know connect with them with, you know, on what you're, what you're pouring out into your music and they feel that they react to that. Or, you know, like, I think there's just a lot of, um, there's a lot of dream chasing that goes on and I'm, I'm a, not a, I'm not, I'm not pooping on dreams because <laughs> I think their vision is absolutely vital. But I also think there's a lot to be said for the people who do something because they love it. Yeah. It fulfills something for them. Um, for me, it was a means of like working through what I thought about God and the universe. What it was a means to work through my struggles and music. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to generate success out of that and a career out of that. Um, but there are so many talented people, immensely more talented than me, that were never able to generate a career out of their music. And I hope they are still creating today, you know, because it matters. And, you know, I think uh, so I I think um, and then on a career standpoint is like 
just surround yourself with people you can trust. Thanks to John for laying down this podcast with us and providing a good reminder of what can happen when you pursue what matters most to you. If you want to hear the music that put John on the map, see how he pokes fun at himself through his music videos, and catch what he's recently recorded independently with Rubonic, then check out our webpage to get a flavor of his work, past and present. To hear more podcasts or read posts that are meant to nudge the dreamer in all of us to become the doer we were meant to be, visit us at joyventure.net. If you've discovered your joy, but feel stuck on how best to develop it, you've come to the right place, as that's what Thad and I do for our day jobs. Feel free to drop us a line through the website, and we'll talk. Until next time, remember, never stop discovering. Thanks for listening.